Hi, everyone. Dave here from C-Lab Podcast. If you're finding value in this podcast, we'd really like to get to know who you are. So we're going to ask you to click on our site and add yourself to our mailing list. We're going to agree not to spam you, but at some point in the future, we may have special events, certain podcasts we want you to join on, or we might even throw in a class or two. So sign up today. It's not going to cost you anything. And again, we promise not to bug you. Thanks, everybody. Welcome to C-Lab, the customer education lab, where we take customer education myths and misconceptions and give them the traditional Viking funeral at sea. I'm Adam Evermescu, and I am here alone today without my co-host Dave Darrington, and that's because we're doing a little bit of a mini episode. Now, we've actually done an episode like this before. Uh, these are kind of instructional design 101 episodes, so consider this uh, a very quick and dirty instructional design school. And one of the reasons that I'm doing this episode is because we've actually had a lot of folks that we've heard from recently who, you know, either because of COVID-19 or for whatever other reasons, they're looking to transition into more formal instructional design types of roles. And so if we can do a little bit to help here, we are, are happy to. And so last time we did an episode like this, we did it on Kirkpatrick's four levels of evaluation. And I actually have a bit uh, of an error to acknowledge from that episode, uh, you know, in the interest of accuracy, when I was talking about Donald Kirkpatrick, whose framework uh, that is, I was actually speaking about him in the present tense. And what I didn't acknowledge, or maybe I, I didn't realize it at the time, was that unfortunately, he had already passed away. I still had relatively recent memories of going to a conference where he had spoken. So I think his his memory was was alive and well. But anyway, I wanted to acknowledge that correction. Today, we will be talking about uh, a different theorist, Benjamin Bloom, uh, who is a different person than Benjamin Button, in case you were wondering. Uh, he did not age backwards. So Benjamin Bloom was born in 1913, died in 1999, but he was an educational psychologist. And specifically, what he is known for is developing a model called Bloom's Taxonomy that thinks about the different levels of sophistication that you can use when developing an educational or instructional activity. His taxonomy is all about measuring the different levels of what we would call the cognitive domain. So different levels at which you can uh, know or think or cogitate about something. And this is different from the affective domain, which is all about uh, emotions and social uh, aspects and how you feel about things, um, and the psychomotor domain, which is all about physical and kinesthetic. So cognitive, cognitive domains are all about thinking. And in a lot of cases, when we are developing instruction, what we're really trying to focus on is thinking about the ways that people think if that's meta enough. Um, we're, we're Certainly, we have a role to play in terms of changing how they feel um, and developing social opportunities, giving them opportunities to practice things with physical and, and kinesthetic approaches. But really, it's that cognitive domain that we tend to focus on the most. And that's why Bloom's Taxonomy becomes a really helpful um, guiding device. So really quickly, 
let's talk about the taxonomy that he developed. And we'll talk about the different levels. We'll talk about how it's visualized. And we'll talk about how it has been adapted since because it got a pretty big overhaul in 2001, um, actually by one of Bloom's original partners. So here are the different levels at which you can think about the sophistication of what you're teaching someone. So the first level in Bloom's taxonomy, this is kind of the lowest order, is knowledge. So do you know something? Can you remember it? Can you retrieve it from your memory? Uh, next up is comprehension. So okay, you you know something, you can remember it, you can recite it, but uh, do you actually understand it? Can you restate it in your own words? Can you uh, identify something about it? Can you describe it? The third level is application. So, okay, maybe you know what it is, maybe you understand it, but can you actually um, turn that into some sort of a situational aspect, right? Can you Can you use that material and incorporate it in a new situation. Level four is analysis. So that takes it a step further. Now we're not just applying it to a situation, but we're making uh, some decisions about what the appropriate course of action is, or we can kind of break things down into its parts uh, and understand the structure. Number five is synthesis. So okay, we can analyze something, but now it's a a kind of a higher order of thinking perhaps to actually create a new whole, um, a completely new project based on those principles that you learned. And then the the final uh, tier for him in this taxonomy is evaluation. So he defines that uh, kind of as the ability to, you know, maybe critique the material to evaluate its worthiness to, uh, you know, kind of to judge it or, or argue for or against it. So as you can imagine, as you go up the taxonomy, you're thinking about things that are inherently harder to test on, harder to teach because they're, they're simply more complex. I could teach you in, you know, a few minutes, uh, you know, to kind of recite something from memory or to remember a list of something, but it's probably going to take a lot longer for you to be able to create some of these projects, uh, you know, net new top to tail, or for you to really develop a sophisticated analysis and evaluation of something. Now, throughout, you probably heard me using some verbs. And when we think about Bloom's taxonomy, thinking about the verbs uh, can be a really useful way of thinking about how to apply this on the job, because really... Bloom's taxonomy in a lot of cases is used to evaluate and structure learning objectives. And learning objectives, as we uh, often say, are are kind of all about the verbs that drive them. So um, we'll come back to the verbs in a moment because I actually want to talk a little bit about how Bloom's taxonomy got revised in 2001. And that revision was actually done by Lauren Anderson, who was one of Bloom's students, and um, David Crathwall, who was actually Bloom's original partner. So even though Bloom gets uh, credit for the taxonomy, it's his name that's attached. David Crathwall was also doing a lot of this research with him and is also credited in a lot of cases for uh, a lot of research around the effective domain. So let's talk a little bit about this restructuring. Well, one of the restructures here was instead of using the old nouns, knowledge, comprehension, application, analysis, synthesis, evaluation. Well, now 
it got restructured actually as verbs or, or as gerunds. So instead of knowledge, we now have remember or remembering. So here, this is about, again, it's still the same thing. It's recalling knowledge from memory. Um, it's all about just kind of recall, uh, yeah, basic recall, recalling definitions, facts, lists. Uh, in a lot of cases, it could even just be kind of trivia. Comprehension turned into understand or understanding. So again, we're going one step beyond just knowing the thing or being able to recall the thing. Now we're proving that we can interpret it or classify it or explain it or compare it to something else. Application became apply or applying. So this is actually now carrying out some sort of action uh, that builds upon the knowledge that you learned. So here, this might be applying the material in a, a simulation or uh, a model or a, a role play or something like that, right? Actually applying the skills that, that you should have learned. Analysis becomes analyze or analyzing. Uh, same concept again. It's still about breaking materials into parts. Um, it's maybe about creating mental models for things, uh, being able to map out uh, the the parts uh, versus the whole, uh, those types of pieces. Maybe, maybe again, still some sort of like discovery or inspection uh, or building experiments around the, the knowledge that you should have learned. Next, uh, synthesis actually becomes something a little bit different. So one thing that happened is that synthesis became create or creating. So instead of the idea of just kind of taking the parts and pulling them, pulling them into the hole, uh, this one got rearchitected a little bit about creating something completely net new, um, creating a new product based on that learning. So it's similar, obviously, to what synthesis was originally defined as, but it's interesting to see that's one where we didn't just take the original verb. It didn't become synthesized. It became create. Um, and evaluation became evaluate or evaluating. But one interesting thing here, like I mentioned, is, is these ones changed a little bit more meaningfully because they got flipped. So while in the original Bloom's taxonomy, the order of the taxonomy was from least to most complex, knowledge, comprehension, application, analysis, synthesis, evaluation. In the 2000-2001, you go from remember, understand, apply, analyze. So all four of those are the same. Uh, but now the last two flip. So after analyze is evaluate, and then after evaluate is create. So they're kind of making a statement here that in some ways being able to create something is uh, a more complex task than just evaluating it and being able to um, you know, make judgment calls about it. And in a way, I think that actually does kind of match the, the change in terminology. You can pull the parts into a whole in terms of synthesis, but maybe um, evaluation seems a little bit more uh, metacognitive than, than just synthesis and building a project. But when you kind of frame it as evaluate versus create, um, it's, it's sort of like the difference between being a, a movie critic and being a, a director. Not that there's anything wrong with movie critics. I love criticism. So when we think about the depiction of Bloom's taxonomy, a lot of times it's depicted as a pyramid. So you've got remember at the bottom and you've got create at the top. And a lot of times, again, uh, I'm just looking at one particular visualization. Uh, this one's on Vanderbilt.edu. Um, so 
Vanderbilt's website. The verbs that they have attached to these for remember, they've got the definition is recall basic facts and basic concepts. So, okay, what might a learning objective for remember look like? The verb might be define, list, memorize, repeat, state. For understand, this is explain ideas or concepts. What verbs might you use? Here it might be classify, describe, discuss, explain, identify, recognize, select. For apply, now it's about using information in new situations. Your verbs might be execute, implement, solve, demonstrate, use. And this is interesting, right? Because as, as we think about this, we can think about the, the learning objectives that we've created over time. And granted, not all courses have learning objectives. Some people do away with learning objectives uh, entirely, at least as they're presented to the end user or the learner. But in general, even if we're not necessarily presenting the learning objectives to them, we're at least doing some work on the back end to, to really know, like, how will we know that this learning was, was successful? Sometimes uh, when people think about learning and when they think about what uh, a learning objective or instructional objective should be, they kind of think about it in terms of, oh, well, for learning to have occurred, uh, the person just needs to understand these concepts. And that's how you end up getting all these learning objectives that are written like, by the end of this course, the learner will understand how uh, feature X in this software works. And that's usually, but not always, but usually it's not a great learning objective because it's, well, first of all, it's, it's a little bit too high level. But second of all, you're not necessarily thinking of a way that you would actually monitor and observe someone understanding that at the end of the day. Like, so according to Bloom's Taxonomy, you know someone will understand that feature maybe if they can describe it or if they can identify it or if they can locate it. Um. But, you know, when a lot of people talk about learning, that's not actually the objective that they're driving for, right? Someone might tell you, hey, we really need to create a course on feature X because we want our users to understand it. And then you can ask them, okay, well, if this course is successful, what do you want learners to be able to do? Do you want them to be able to describe the feature? Do you want them to be able to identify it in the product? Or do you want them to maybe um, use that feature or demonstrate that they can use that feature? Uh, and in a lot of cases, the answer would actually be yes, we want them to apply their skills. And that requires us to create a little bit of a different course, uh, maybe different measurement activities. Uh, maybe maybe it's more interactive if we actually want them to apply these skills. And if you heard in a, a previous episode when I was talking with Daniel Quick, we were kind of briefly railing on the idea of uh, Jeopardy. Uh, sorry, I was re I was uh, railing on it. Daniel likes Jeopardy activities. And, and I don't mind Jeopardy activities either, but we were talking about how Jeopardy as uh, an instructional device gets misused because it's a game, it's fun, it's inherently competitive, but often it's used to measure the wrong thing. So if I create a course where at the end of the, the course, I want someone to use information in a realistic scenario instead of just kind of remembering it by memory, and I use a Jeopardy game as the assessment at the end, I am probably not actually testing at the right level of Bloom's taxonomy compared to the result that I want to see. So my instructional objective was kind of centered around the idea of them applying something. But what I tested in that Jeopardy game was really just whether they remembered the concept or maybe at best, sometimes, <laughs> I don't know, maybe Jeopardy games can, can go into the understand tier. And I'm focusing a lot on these bottom three uh, parts of Bloom's taxonomy because these are the ones that I see 
most often uh, in learning and especially in customer education. There are certainly customer education programs that go up into the higher tiers, uh, analyze, evaluate, create. If you think about that, that might be in more advanced certification programs, for example, that require a work sample from someone to be able to say that, that they're certified. Uh, you might see this in um, kind of lab-based interactivities where people uh, are given a prompt and, and kind of are, are given a sandbox to complete some, some sample activities that require them to not only apply their skills, but maybe uh, respond to certain problem statements in certain ways. So they're out there. They're just not the most common things that I see. And, and part of this is, you know, it's sort of like when we were talking about uh, Kirkpatrick's four levels, the levels at the bottom are the most widespread, partially because they're the easiest to create and the easiest to measure. It's really uh, pretty easy for me to remember, uh, or sorry, for me to measure whether someone remembers something, because I can have a quick multiple choice quiz that measures that. It's a lot harder for me to really measure uh, whether they can produce new or original work or uh, have, a, have a great way of measuring that more objectively. So I think that's part of why you see it less often. One thing I will say is that a lot of uh, the, the debate and discussion around in-product education and around using in-product activity as a way to measure learning is sort of a way to try to shortcut up to the higher parts of Bloom's taxonomy. So if we could say, you know, someone takes a course um, on feature X and then we're going to measure whether they're actually using that feature afterwards, that's us trying to get rid of some of the proxy of measuring whether they remember or understand something and actually skip straight to uh, whether they applied those skills. So I think it's an interesting and worthwhile idea, but you don't necessarily see everyone have the tools to implement those successfully. When we think about using Bloom's taxonomy in the real world, um, again, I would say usually it's about selecting learning objectives for the course and furthermore thinking about how those learning objectives will inform not just what's taught but what's measured you know how we assess it and ultimately what actions that we want to see at the end and again there's great resources out there that talk about the actual verbs that you might use to measure at each level you know i'm looking at one right now tips.uark.edu has uh, i guess that's the university of arkansas has a great resource on the different verbs associated with each level of, of Bloom's taxonomy. And they're not that different from the ones that I read in the Vanderbilt article to you a little while ago, so I won't belabor the point. But uh, as much as to say they're out there, these resources are out there, and even if they use different verbs to describe it, it's not that there's just one set of verbs that's uh, appropriate for each level. It's more about thinking about what, what you're actually trying to measure. And the main way that I use it on the job is to really uh, detect when there are mismatches in terms of maybe what someone told me they wanted the course to be about or what information they wanted to include or how they wanted to test it, and then what result we actually expect to see at the end. So I'll actually try to make this point a little bit more clearly. Bloom's taxonomy does not necessarily inform the order in which you teach something. Again, it's really about what you're trying to measure, what you're trying to achieve with the course, how, how sophisticated the output should be. So... To do this, I'll use an example from a book called Design for How People Learn. It's by Julie Dirksen. It's one of my favorite, very practical instructional design primers. Uh, so it's great for someone who's just getting into the field or someone who wants to refresh their skills. And the example that she's giving in this book, it's actually around someone who is taking a course on the principles of effective design. 
So someone who wants to learn about uh, contrast, repetition, alignment, and proximity. Those would be the core concepts of, of what makes something effective or ineffective from a design standpoint. Now, you could teach a course that really just you know defines those four different uh, principles of visual design, and you could be done with it, but that person probably wouldn't be very good at actually going and designing something themselves. So you could teach them the uh, traditional kind of bottom-up taxonomy way. So you could start by explaining what those four principles are uh, and what they mean, and you could have them uh, then start to apply their skills. Maybe like uh, the example she gives is organizing the elements of a, a web page using the principles, and um, then all the way to finally creating uh, a layout from scratch. This is typically how we scaffold a course like this. We start with the most basic, we start with the conceptual, but you could use Bloom's taxonomy in reverse sequentially in a course just as easily. And in fact, it might be a more interesting uh, learning experience. So let's say you start with create. Well, the example she gives here is start the course with some actual uh, elements that you could use to build a web page, product photo, copy, logo, uh, and then have them create a mock-up. So they're actually going to try their skills and they're probably going to fail. So then the next part of the course could be having learners compare uh, their mock-ups to a few professional examples and have them discuss what they did right and wrong. Then you could break down that discussion into some of the design elements that work versus don't work. And you could group the elements that work into the four design principles. So now the learning has become very experiential. You go on and on. So now uh, you know you get you get to apply. So you could have them kind of redesign their original designs using the principles that they've just grouped uh, uh, those successful elements into. And finally, you can cap off then not only by summarizing the, the design principles and fleshing out the definition. So that gets us to understand. But you might be thinking at this point, well, how do we how do we put remember at the end? Like why do we even need to remember the design principles at this point? Well, it's actually because you're going to go use them on the job. So you could, as a final step, and again, this is still her example, you would have students create a cheat sheet or a job aid of those four principles so that they can then go and remember it on the job. So you don't have to have them remember it by giving them a multiple choice uh, quiz or a Jeopardy game. You have them remember it by giving them a job aid or a cheat sheet that they actually use to remember it. And in some ways, that's more realistic to how we actually work, right? The things that you learn in a classroom or that you want to learn in a classroom are sometimes the, the higher order skills, the things that are more cognitively complex. And then for the things that you just need to remember or maybe principles that you just need to find, that's probably not why you're, you're usually taking a class. You're usually going to a help center for that or job aids or resources. So a good customer education program often includes all of those uh, components for that reason. Okay, so hopefully that was a really helpful, um, or at least a somewhat helpful intro to an instructional design concept. Um, and for those of you who want to learn more, there are so many resources out there about Bloom's Taxonomy. Uh, many universities, like the ones I mentioned, Vanderbilt and University of Arkansas, have very freely available tutorials online. Um, and then Design for How People Learn by Julie Dirksen is the book that I recommend. Uh, it doesn't just cover Bloom's Taxonomy, but it covers a lot of Instructional Design 101. Based on our analytics, uh, I think the last time we did this episode on Kirkpatrick's Four Levels of Evaluation, that was a, a very uh, well-listened-to and well-downloaded episode. So 
let us know if these are valuable to you because we can we can keep doing them. Uh, there's more instructional design concepts, obviously, that we can talk about. Other than that, though, if you want to learn more, we have a podcast website at https, uh, you know, whatever letters you put before a URL, customer.education, where you can find show notes and other material. I am at Avramescu on Twitter. Dave is at Dave Darrington. Special thanks to Alan Coda for our theme music. And if this helped you out, you can help us out by subscribing in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get quality podcasts. Leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts because that really, really helps and uh, ultimately will help expose the podcast to other people and help us keep this thing going. So to our audience, thanks for joining. Go out and educate, experiment, and find your people. Thanks for listening.